everybody. We'll start in just a minute here. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Good morning and uh, welcome to our sixth Vision Zero uh, task force meeting for the city of San Jose, and also uh, the last task force meeting of this calendar year, 2021. Uh, I am Council Member Raul Perales and your task force chair, and I am joined by our task force vice chair, Council Member Pam Foley. And before we get started, I would like to take uh, a few minutes to remember the people who have perished on our streets since our last task force meeting on September 23rd, 2021, uh, up until December 9th of 2021. These are members of our community. Uh, they are family and friends who we have lost too soon. I'm gonna call out uh, names of six road traffic victims and then council member Foley will call out the uh, other names of, of six victims. We have Donald Torzo, Daniel Bugarin Hernandez, an unnamed male motorist, James Brian Peacock, an unnamed male motorist, and Vincent Burgos Sr. Rosalind Burgos. Brett Miller, Sarjeet Guman, male bicyclist, female pedestrian, male pedestrian. May they rest in peace. Thank you. Recalling last year's Vision Zero task force uh, meetings, in uh, the previous task force meetings, we provided updates on outreach data and the progress uh, the Vision Zero program has been making and what the city of San Jose is working on in the second half of this year. Vision Zero uh, is an effort that brings data analysis and community outreach together to better understand of which safety projects and strategic cross department initiatives are the most impactful in reducing crashes severe fatal injuries and to prioritize safety projects and infrastructure improvements based on the data and our community's feedback. Today there are updates on the Vision Zero Strategic Communications Program, which has uh, development of a comprehensive strategic and tactical communications plan and analysis of public perceptions, attitudes and behaviors. The Vision Zero uh, Strategic Communications Program has four phases, strategic communications, planning, uh, development of outreach materials and strategy, production of outreach materials and implementation of outreach strategy, and lastly, the evaluation of strategic communications plan and implementation. And today, uh, MIG and EMC research will provide an overview of the survey process. And throughout today's meeting, uh, I'm gonna encourage everybody to think about how DOT can better leverage opportunities to collaborate with other departments and your agencies to improve street safety. There will be uh, a task force member discussion after each presentation, uh, 15 minutes after reports and updates, we will hear uh, about the third quarter traffic fatality data and action plan progress 
And then also after uh, the consultant's presentation, we will have more comments allowed. That will be followed by uh, open forum from uh, the public to comment at the end of our meeting. And uh, I appreciate everybody's uh, participation throughout uh, this past year, especially as we've continued on uh, through, uh, through Zoom, through this pandemic, um, and uh, certainly um, appreciate your input today. Uh, and at this time, I'll be doing the roll call. I'll be calling out the department organization uh, name and if uh, the representative could identify themselves by name and title, that would be uh, most appreciated. And um, we've already listed myself and our vice chair. So from our uh, city of San Jose Department of Transportation, our director. Hi, this is John Risto, director of transportation. Welcome. And from uh, city of San Jose Police Department. Hi, good morning, Lieutenant Dave Anaya with the traffic enforcement unit. Welcome, Lieutenant. And uh, from uh, our City of San Jose Fire Department. Good morning, Robert Sapien, Fire Chief. Welcome, Chief. And uh, Public Works. I believe we had Christy Chung. She may not be in yet. Um, and from our uh, Parks Department, I, I see Neil Rufino uh, is not able to attend today. Um, from Economic Development. I believe Sal Alvarez might be attending, but late uh, from our planning department, um, we did not get an RSVP. And from our city of San Jose housing department. Good morning, Reagan Henninger, deputy director of the housing department. Good morning, Reagan. And from uh, VTA. Good morning, Angelique Gaeta, chief of system safety and security. Welcome, Angelique. And from County Roads and Airports. Uh, hi, it's Harry Freitas. I'm the Director of Roads and Airports. Uh, we also have uh, one of her staff. Anand Prasad, I'm the um, Acting County Traffic Engineer, also the Deputy Director. Thank you. Welcome, thank you both. Uh, from County Public Health. Good morning, my name is Amanda Clinton Brown. Happy to be here. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you. And from uh, County uh, EMS. Good morning. Uh, I'm Jackie Lowther. I'm the EMS director for Santa Clara County. Welcome. Thank you for joining. And our County Medical Examiner, uh, Corner. Don't see Candace here yet. All right. Uh, County Office of Education. Good morning. I'm Dr. Marianne Dewan, County Superintendent of Schools. Thank you. Welcome. And uh, from uh, Cal Walks. Good morning. This is Teresa Del Padre, coordinator for Walks San Jose. Good morning. Welcome. And the Silicon Valley Bike Coalition. Don't see uh, anybody here. And lastly, we've got uh, AARP. Good morning, this is Joe Glenn representing San Jose ARP Advocacy Team. Good morning, thank you. Thank you all for uh, joining us this morning. All right, uh, moving on to uh, notation of our meeting minutes. Meeting minutes from the last Vision Zero Task Force meeting uh, on September 23rd were posted on the Vision Zero website. 
Uh, as you know here, we, we do not take um, a vote on those, but you may reach out to our staff directly uh, with any comments and we will update the minutes as um, necessary. Just a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, this meeting is being recorded as always. It will be posted. Uh, panelists uh, have uh, been muted by default. Uh, we've been working through this now, so um, you can use the raise hand function um, to be able to, to speak uh, and you unmute yourself accordingly. And um, attendees will have an opportunity to publicly comment at the open forum section. Uh, this is due to the, the short nature of the meetings and a large number of panelists that we have here. And um, all right, speaking of limited time, we're, we're gonna do our very best to stay with the prescribed times uh, and agenda. Um, and uh, if you would like to speak at open forum, you can raise your hand now if you wanted to get it in queue or press star nine. Um, that'll help us to gauge how much time we may need uh, at the end and, and how much time we can give for, for public comment. Uh, and closed captions should be enabled. Um, yes, great. And um, you can turn down that feature if you need it. All right, that takes us to our uh, reports and updates. This is agenda item two. Uh, we have Jesse Mintz-Roth uh, from Department of Transportation who will give us uh, some updates on the Vision Zero key metrics, uh, updates on the Vision Zero action plan, uh, priority action areas. Uh, we'll follow that. And then um, also presented by Jesse Mintz-Roth. And then Lieutenant Anaya from SJPD will, um, uh, will present. We also have three guests today, Ann Jasper, uh, Vu Dao, and Dao Win um, on program updates. And uh, now, Jesse, the floor is yours. Thank you, uh, Chair Perales. Hopefully everyone can see my slides. Um, I'm going to begin, as I usually do, talking about uh, the data trends and also with the important disclaimer that when we talk about traffic fatality data that we're talking about our friends and neighbors here in San Jose. Um, the data that we're showing on this first slide is for the uh, date ending at the end of November, so showing 55 fatalities so far for the year. There is now an additional 56th, which is not in these data slides that we recently learned about, um, but so we'll be talking about the 55. Um, in general, though, as we're um, now into our last month of the year, we're looking to see where this year will be compared to past years and where it's looking so far is among our highest years, um, even though, uh, you know, traffic patterns are not back um, to normal exactly after the pandemic, they're, they're different. Um, but nonetheless, we're seeing in 2021 that uh, people killed while walking um, is still the biggest category. Um, but we're also seeing growth in some other, in some other category by mode, uh, particularly cyclists. Uh, eight so far this year is higher than it's been um, in the last five years or in the last 10 years, I believe. And actually the other category that's really unusual is motorcyclist fatality. Um, previously our high was five and um, now at nine with the year not done, that one is a big, uh, big difference, um, although is also something that other cities are seeing. If we look at traffic crashes by month, you can see that the blue line, which represents 2021, uh, if we look at cumulative injuries by month, we're on the low side. Um, that speaks to the lower traffic volumes in 2021 um, overall. But if you look at fatal and severe injuries, which is abbreviated as KSI, um, the trend line for 2021 is at the higher end um, of the last five years. 
um, but basically sort of in range, but nonetheless sort of very, very high end of the range. Um, and then if we look at cumulative fatalities by month, you'll see that 2021 actually went above for most of the months of the year, the existing range the last five years. At November and December are typically higher months, um, which is part of the reason that we do some of the campaigns that we do, such as look out when it's dark out, which is the image behind me here, um, because we know, we, we know that those are gonna be high months, but um, as we come into them now, we're still at the highest end um, and so we're, we're really hoping that um, with all the new efforts that we're doing under Vision Zero that will not go above uh, the range at the end of the year. Uh, nonetheless, um, holiday season tends to be a high traffic fatality period. And so we're hoping um, that it's not, not too bad this year. Um, looking at the, a little more data about the fatalities that um, the council members just read in the introduction, you can see that um, well, we had a lot fewer in the interim in this since the last um, task force compared to the one before it. Um, but the majority are uh, motor vehicle occupants and one of the fatalities number 50 involved both the driver and passenger, um, both older adults. Uh, we've had two pedestrian fatalities and one cyclist and one motorcyclist in this period. Looking at this data on a more sort of year-to-date type level, which seems from our standpoint a little bit easier to relate to, 45% um, of them, so 25 of the 55 we're reporting on, have occurred on our priority safety corridors. Typically, it's 30 to 40%, so 45% is high. Um, we were also noticing uh, that there's a large percentage occurring during dark hours. Uh, we haven't really focused as much on how this percentage looks to, compared to previous years, but um, it is a very high percentage. Um, we have talked about how uh, people killed while walking are the biggest group by mode. And in our last task force, and we're mentioning it here again, um, um, among those are people crossing outside crosswalk, 65%. So um, we're really interested in understanding more about that number. Um, you know, does it mean people who crossed close to existing crosswalks or people who crossed far from existing crosswalks? Um, we've done some research to try and understand how far the spacing is between traffic signals on our priority safety corridors. And on average right now, it's actually over a thousand feet, which uh, is a very long distance for pure pedestrian. So um, that's, you know, an interesting thing that we, um, I think is a useful insight for us going forward. Um, there's a large percentage of male drivers uh, involved in the crashes, uh, 37 out of 55. Um, and also another one that is definitely coming up through our conversations about Monterey and Kurt Nortelli is the number of people experiencing homelessness who are involved in these fatalities. Um, it's not maybe as high as some people might think, 11 of 55 is that high. I think it's high, um, but you know, it's not, it's, it's a fifth. So um, looking at those ones in a little bit more detail, we see that 82% of them or nine of 11 happened when it was dark out. So we plan to do um, more messaging around that, that finding. Um, and I'll be talking about that a little bit more later. So now I'm going to go into the six priority action area updates. And in this section, we'll be hearing from a number of my colleagues here at San Jose DOT. Um, and we're excited to add them as presenters. 
to this Division Zero Task Force. And so for the first one, uh, we will be giving a live demonstration of the new Urban Logic tool. Um, Urban Logic is our vendor uh, that we brought on earlier this year. Uh, we're about, uh, I'd say six or seven months into this project since they've been brought online. And only, and so basically in the last six months, we've been developing the features in this tool. And only in the last month have we begun to roll it out to users inside San Jose DOT. So at the moment, it's only available to users inside San Jose DOT. Um, but even to bring it to the point now where we are to have one of our internal staff demo it to you is quite exciting because that means that, um, you know, obviously Tao is one of the people who've been very closely involved in developing this tool. Um, but we're excited to have our internal staff learn to use it to be able to answer a lot of the questions that the previous slides raised. And so now I'm going to turn it over to Tao. Thank you, Jesse. Please give me a few minutes to share screen. Uh, can you see my screen now? Okay. Uh, thank you. My name is Tao Nguyen, Associate Transportation Specialist at San Jose DOT. I'm with the Vision Zero team focusing on understanding our data. As Jesse mentioned, the Urban Logic platform is ready for our internal use. We are still asking for feedback from DOT to continue improving the platform. Today, we will briefly go through the main feature of the crash analysis. As you can see, the platform auto-populate all crashes in the city of San Jose with the selected time frame, which is from 2016 to 2020. This time frame can be customized. This tool allows us to aggregate crashes and run queries with different scenarios. So let's try to aggregate by intersections. Besides intersections, we also have option to aggregate by city council district, um, engineering and traffic survey segments, and also by vision zero safety corridors. Here you can see that the bigger the bubble, the more crashes there are at those intersections. And now let's take a closer look at the crash analysis. So from this uh, crash analysis dashboard, it provides a variety of information, including corridors and intersections with the most crashes or fatal and severe injuries, as well as collision type, age, violation, and lighting. From this dashboard, we can see that all of our priority safety corridors are among the corridors with the highest KSI. And to better understand the magnitude of the KSI on the corridors, Urban Logic will be developing a draft of KSI per mile for the city. Now let's take a closer look at one of our priority safety corridors. I'm going back to our use case. In the area of interest, we can select Vision Zero safety corridors. And let's use Center Road as an example, because we recently completed a project here, and we will also be doing a before and after evaluation for this corridor. So with this tool, you will see that we are able to select a corridor and get more insights on the crashes. 
let's wait a little bit for it to run. Here, it really jumped out that center at Turley Road and Capital Expressway have the most crashes. Again, if we look at the crash analysis report, we can see information about violation, lighting, collision type, age, weather, and traffic control type. If we want more information on spe specific intersection to understand the trends, this tool also allows us to do so. So let's remove aggregation here and say I am interested in, oh, let's try to remove the aggregation. And then go back to, okay, wait. Awesome. And now go back to our crash analysis user case. So here, say I am interested in looking at a specific intersection. And let's try Capital Expressway and Center Road because um, through this tool we learned that Center and Capital Expressway is among one of the intersections on Center Road with the highest KSI. We have reached out to the county and discussed collaborating on improvements um, to make this intersection safer. We are still in the early stages of using this tool, but there's a lot of different use cases we can run to help us understand trends that can offer insight on how to redesign our roadways to prevent crashes in the future. And again, it is um, trying to run the queries. Here you can see that all of the crashes at uh, Capital Expressway and Center Road show up. And again, we can uh, select run to read uh, the report and also S filter um, if we want, we want to see specifically only KSI or other um, queries. With that, uh, I will hand it back to Jesse. Thank you, Tao. Um, let me just bring the presentation back up. Let's go. Um, Great. So um, following on that item, we have um, just a moment. Oh dear, sorry. Okay. Uh, number two, of course, was to form a Vision Zero task force. And so we're at number six now. Um, and I will move on to the third area, which is to strategize traffic enforcement um, and hand it over to uh, Lieutenant Anaya. Uh, good morning. Jesse, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Okay. Go ahead. All right. 
want to make sure. Um, so our, our presentation or our slide is, uh, is basically just a comparative uh, analysis of our activity here in the traffic enforcement unit and what we do uh, as far as citations and enforcement throughout the city. So in our slide, there's obviously uh, information from 2019 and we did not collect or gather warnings in 2019 as just a reminder. And then in 2020, we started collecting warnings due to COVID uh, just to show our level of activity and what, what we were doing in the traffic enforcement unit. And then now in 2021, <clears throat> we're back to kind of a more um, a full enforcement type model where we're issuing uh, less warnings and more citations for, uh, for the violations that we stopped motorists for. So if you look at our, our quarter three, which is the highlighted area in green, in 2019, we wrote 800, or I'm sorry, 1,871 citations. And then in 2020, we dropped down to uh, 414 during the same time frame. Um, but again, the warnings that are in there equates to about 890 stops for motorists. And now jumping ahead to 2021, uh, for the same quarter, we issued 4,012 4, citations, uh, issued 228 warnings for a total of, of 4,240 stops. Uh, and again, this information that I'm providing is just our traffic enforcement unit. This is the data that, that I collect. Um, it does not include uh, stops that are being made by other officers in the department and other, uh, in other bureaus and divisions such as patrol or, or our, our other units that are doing proactive enforcement. Um, but what we did see, obviously, is you look at the comparison on the previous year to the right side of the slide, um, quarter three 2020 um, versus quarter three 2021, we had an increase of 3,352 citations. So quite an increase. Um, uh, the traffic enforcement unit has grown um, and our staffing is, is, is continuing to grow, I hope. And uh, I, I think you see a direct result there of the uh, information that you see in our slide versus quarter three when you see that large number uh, of increased citations that we've written. So uh, with that info, Jesse, I will turn it back over to you. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit our, about our look out when it's dark out campaign, which is also the image behind me here. Um, typically at this time of year, as I mentioned, we tend to see um, a increase in fatalities due to the darker, uh, basically that it's darker from November to March. And so when the clocks go back, it, it becomes darker and is darker now. We're approaching the darkest time of year. Um, and so we've had seven deployments of changeable message signs, which we sometimes call CMS signs or CMS boards on our version zero corridors um, with the lo at locations that have had recent traffic fatalities starting on November 15th, and they'll continue through the end of February 2022. Uh, the vision zero corridors that have higher numbers of traffic fatalities, Monterey Road, McKee Road, McLaughlin Avenue, Center Road, uh, Tully and Kurtner, Capital Expressway, um, we'll have two to three deployments this year and San Jose PD um, is coordinating with traffic enforcement and I'm going to uh, hand it back over to Dave for a moment just to talk about that for a second. Yeah, so just some brief information on uh, the Lookout When It's Dark Out campaign. Um, as Jesse mentioned, the signage goes out in those corridors and we take a look at that uh, to really just to provide the information to motorists that, hey, just to, to be careful and, and take that extra time. Um, but at the same time, uh, what we do is we've coordinated with DOT and Jesse and his staff um, and looked at those times. Once those messaging boards are out, uh, we provide that education piece. 
Uh, and then we go out and we provide the enforcement piece of that puzzle. And so in the last, uh, just this past week, because this is a, a newer program and the, the SMS boards just came out, uh, we did start our enforcement campaign in those, in those areas. So um, just to give you an idea of what we've done, uh, Monterey and Branham uh, area, we wrote 28 citations for speeding on Monday. And then on Tuesday, um, I'm sorry, Monday we were at uh, Monterey and Kirtner. Monday we wrote 27 speeding citations, uh, a few for no U-turns and some seat belts and other things. Uh, and then on Tuesday, we were back over at Monterey and Branham for 28 for speeding and five citations for uh, for some other things. So uh, a total of uh, right about 65 citations during that uh, during that campaign, just in the first two days that we've worked out there. Some of those are, are during day shift hours, but uh, our, our high level of concentration is during nighttime because it is uh, it is the lookout when it's dark out campaign. Um, another thing that we've we've been able to do. Uh, is create our enforcement strategies a little bit more targeting towards nighttime hours because, again, I, I think most of you remember in the task force um, that we did transition and bifurcate the, the traffic enforcement unit, and we now have two teams. We have a day shift team, and then we have a modified swing shift team that works until 8 p.m. So uh, we're able to target those areas a little bit better this year uh, now that it's dark and now that we have that uh, that modified swing team with our with our increased staffing. So. Um, just just kind of wanted to give you guys a quick update on that because Jesse had that in the slide and the, those are kind of fresh off the uh, numbers are fresh off the press for this week. So uh, Jesse, I'll give that back to you. Thank you. Um, so moving a little bit over to safety messaging around back to school, uh, we wanted to highlight a recent tweet from the San Jose Police Department Twitter from uh, late August 2021. And so I'm going to play the video now. Hopefully you will hear the audio from it. are getting busier. Please drive carefully and slow down, especially in pickup and drop-off. We are stepping up traffic enforcement, but we need your help to keep our roads safe. California law requires drivers to stop when a school bus explains its stop And so moving over to uh, the fourth area of the action plan, which is to increase community outreach and engagement, um, I'm now going to hand the mic over to Ann Jasper, who's going to talk about our new Viva Escuela San Jose program. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm Ann Jasper, and I manage the Walk and Well program for um, City of San Jose DOT. And um, we ran a pilot uh, project this fall in coordination with International Walk to School Day called Viva Escuela. So this was an open streets event that, um, that we uh, implemented at two elementary schools, uh, Bancroft Elementary and Horace Mann Elementary. So if you um, think about you know, Viva Calle with having the streets closed to motorized traffic, um, this is what Viva Escuela is on a much smaller scale um, for two schools. Um, we don't really have a pattern of um, deaths or serious uh, traffic injuries during um, school pickup and drop-off times, thankfully, in San Jose. But we do want to educate kids about safe pedestrian and bicycling practices in order to prevent um, such injuries and deaths. Um, next slide, please. Uh, 
So here are the maps of where the street closures were to motorized traffic at Horseman and Badrot. Um, so we closed one block of street in front of each of these schools um, to motorized traffic uh, for two hours prior to the morning bell at each of these schools. That includes one hour of setup time so that we could put together the educational activities and information resource tables, which enhanced the experience for both students and uh, parents and caregivers. Uh, we coordinated these closures with DTA to adjust bus routes when needed, and the San Jose Police Department um, diverted car traffic around the closures. Office of Cultural Affairs um, worked with us to ensure that the surrounding neighborhoods were also notified in time uh, in advance of the closures so that they could adjust their uh, pace and other activities accordingly. Next slide, please. So um, after uh, planning with all these different agencies, uh, we finally got to um, have these uh, special events. So um, this was the very first one that we had of the two at uh, Backrot Elementary School. Um, so um, some of the activities that we had were a pledge to walk and roll. So a lot of schools in San Jose um, have monthly or weekly walk to school days or walking Wednesdays, um, and um, kids are encouraged to walk, bike, or scooter on those days. So this pledge was something that students could sign up and um, promise to walk and roll on these special days. So we gave these, um, these uh, pledge signups to the principal of each school so they could display it um, however they wish. Uh, we also used um, this opportunity to debut our new uh, bike rodeo setup. A bike rodeo is where uh, we teach kids about how to um, bike safely without having to actually bike on the roads. Um, and so we have a new mini town set up. So uh, we have uh, pretend cars, um, a street signal with a pedestrian signal. Um, we also have railroad crossings, um, things like that. So the kids get a little bit more of a real world kind of like simulated experience of what it's like to walk and bike um, in San Jose. And then we also had some fun activities like, like giant Jenga here. Next slide, please. So this was uh, the Viva Escuela that we held at Horace Mann Elementary, uh, which is right across the street from City Hall. Um, so right downtown. Um, and as you can see, um, Council Member Perales is pictured on the left, um, giving encouraging remarks um, to kids about uh, walking and biking to school. He also did this at Backrot Elementary. And we thank you, uh, Council Member Perales, for participating in these two events. Um, he also explained um, the purpose of Vision Zero and our goals to, um, to reduce um, deaths and serious traffic injuries to zero on our San Jose streets. Um, and there's a larger picture at the bottom of our mini town. Um, and the nice thing about this setup is not only does it serve uh, to help students understand how to bike uh, safely around San Jose, but also how to be a safe pedestrian. So here you can see uh, that that's actually me um, instructing a student on um, how to um, look for the pedestrian uh, walk, don't walk signals and how to make eye contact with drivers um, so that they can cross the street safely. Um, one of the resource tables is also pictured here. Um, this is Santa Clara Valley uh, Medical Center um, talking to a parent about various um, injury prevention resources that they offer. And they also talk to kids about how to wear a helmet safely and why to wear one when they're biking or um, scootering. Next slide, please. 
And these are some of the community partners that participated um, to help us promote um, safe uh, use of the street. Uh, so we had Somos Mayfair there. Um, we had a VTA um, talking about public transit. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we had Santa Clara Valley Medical Center there to talk about um, proper helmet use. Um, California Walks um, was there. Teresa Doe was actually um, managing the resource tables at both Backrot and Horace Mann, and we thank you for doing that. And she had a um, kind of a nice, like a Jeopardy-themed um, trivia um, activity that kids could participate in and answer questions about being safe while they're walking. Um, and then the uh, San Jose Public Library Maker Spaceship was on hand for our Backrot Elementary uh, Viva Escuela, and they um, distributed free books to students who wanted those. And that's the end of my presentation. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Anne. Um, so now, keeping on the school theme, uh, we're going to talk about a new uh, project that we're working on with uh, UC Berkeley and San Jose State, and also Escuela Popular, which is a uh, school on the east side of San Jose along White Road. Um, it's called Y Plan, and it's been done in a number of other cities, and I think this is their first time coming to San Jose, so it was exciting to work with them. Um, the idea here is to engage school students about the road safety around their school. And so um, the, the group of students that we worked with in this first project in San Jose are adult learners, uh, primarily Spanish-speaking, or nearly entirely Spanish-speaking, actually, um, and they are... Uh, working to get their GED, so their age range is uh, 18 plus. Um, but, you know, it was really interesting to um, present about the work we do and do a site visit with them, which you can see here is when it was dark out, uh, and in fact, passing one of our signs that says look out when it's dark out, uh, because their classes meet after the workday. Um, and so we met with them um, in October and did this site visit and walked down from where their school is, which you can see is the red dot on the slide, down to the intersection of Alum Rock Avenue. And it was right after we rolled out uh, Urban Logic for internal use in DOT. And so we were able to show these maps from Urban Logic for this uh, other project. And um, their school is located near uh, the larger, so you see three large circles on both of these maps. Um, their school is located near the top large circle, just to the north of that large circle. And so Alum Rock Avenue, where we walked to in the site visit, is one of the intersections on White Road um, that has the most crashes and the most fatal and severe injuries on the corridor. And also this section from, um, from uh, Alum Rock to McKee is on our pavement list for next year. So we're uh, using this project to take input from uh, the community through that school and that classroom um, as part of that project. Um, this slide shows an existing project that we have coming through um, on McKee Road. This is a capital project, so it has been in planning for years. Um, but it will be constructed, we estimate, in 2022-2023. In um, you can see as part of this uh, project that there are slip ramps on, the, on three corners. And in the capital plan redesign for this uh, intersection, three of those slip lanes will be taken out um, and look more like the existing southeast corner, uh, which is more of like a normal intersection. Um, 
So for the last um, slide in this section, we wanted to show our new um, palm card that we are about to have printed uh, for unhoused outreach, which is called Cross in the Crosswalk. And uh, it takes the uh, design that we used for Lookout when it's dark out, and we wanted to make the message a bit more uh, direct. And so uh, we really are, want to encourage people to cross in the crosswalk where there is one, such as, for example, Monterey and Kurt or Tully. Uh, a lot of the fatalities that occurred there involved people who were crossing outside the crosswalk, but near an existing one. So um, some of the other things that are shown in this image, but you know, not said, but just shown, are obviously that there's the walk signal on and obviously that it's a dark out. Um, and so uh, those are the underlying messages in the image. Um, and then we have some safety crossing tips on the back, uh, which are in three languages. And we'll be working um, with our, actually some of the partners here on the task force uh, to distribute this uh, in, in the coming months. Um, and I think we'll be uh, using it citywide eventually, although I think we'll be, be beginning at the locations where our data um, most suggests that we need to do um, engagement with uh, people experiencing homelessness. So um, we will be hearing more about the Vision Zero safety messaging in the next part of the presentation. So I'm gonna continue on to the next area, which is an update of the Quick Build Data-Driven Safety Improvement Projects. And I will hand the mic over to Vu Dao. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Madam Vice Chair, members of the task force. My name is Vu Dao. I am an engineer with the City of San Jose Department of Transportation. Um, as you know, redesigning our roadways uh, using Quick Build approach is a focus area in our Vision Zero initiative um, this past year. Uh, we had implemented approximately six miles of quick build safety improvements, uh, covering three uh, Vision Zero priority safety corridor segments, and the uh, Central Road, Fruitdale Avenue, and Story Road. Um, these quick build improvements uh, may include elements such as reconfiguring the travel lanes and reallocating the space to create buffer and protect the bike lanes for bicyclist safety and comfort, uh, installing quick build curb extension and crosswalk enhancement to improve pedestrian safety, and minor signal uh, modifications such as hardware upgrade and signal timing change in streetlight upgrades. So the images that uh, you see on the screen uh, the, uh, are a sample of the recent projects that we completed. Uh, the image in the middle is a, a central road uh, where you see protected bike lane with a vertical post separation that provides ample space for bicyclists. The top right, uh, image also um, central road uh, you will see protected bike lane again with curb extension at the bottom right image is story road uh, there's enhanced crosswalk with curb extension and signal hallway upgrade with the yellow back plate so these are some of the typical quick build safety improvements that we are implementing as part of our program uh, next slide please In the upcoming months, uh, we will be working on Hillsdale Avenue, uh, Story Road Phase 2, and also Brandon Lane, totaling approximately eight miles of improvement. 
one of the projects that uh, we like to highlight is Hillsdale Avenue. Uh, currently, Hillsdale is very wide roadway with high speed, six lane of uh, traffic. Unfortunately, this year, there were two members of our community that lost their lives on this segment. So as part of this project, we will remove the excess uh, traveling and reallocate that space to create high quality bike lanes. In our previous presentation, uh, we emphasized that speed continues to be the top known factor least, that leads to severe and fatal injury crashes. So it is a fundamental predictor of crash survival. The higher the speed, the higher the chance of someone getting seriously injured or killed in a crash. So when we have the opportunity to redesign our street, uh, we always aim to make speed less enticing by making our roadways feel less open and create that narrow perspective. So as part of the project, we will also be converting the two-way left turn lane to a quick build median island and make improvements at the intersection. So construction will uh, occur to, uh, start in the spring, this coming spring. Uh, so that was a short update to our quick build uh, effort as part of the Vision Zero initiative. Uh, we are excited and we look forward to tackling these roadway segments to make them safer for all roadway users. As always, thank you for uh, your time and thank you for the opportunity. Back to you, Jesse. Yeah, thank you, Boo. Um, for the last segment of the uh, priority action areas, there's prioritizing resources on high fatal and severe injury corridors and districts. And in this section, we want to talk about um, developing our before after project evaluation process. So after the uh, projects that Vu just described are built, what happens next? Um, and that is that we are building an evaluation process similar to ones used in other Vision Zero cities. Um, and it will have, to begin, two different time sections. Uh, the first is a qualitative report where we will have people on the street who will go and interview people to ask what they think of the project um, on the street. And so um, that will come about six months after implementation is completed. Um, and then we want to use a full year of after data to do the quantitative analysis. And so that requires uh, waiting until the end of the completion of the project and then waiting for a full year of after data to occur. And then that data needs to be input into the system and analyzed so there may be more than um, you know, an exact year for this. But the um, process that we're at now is basically estimating the cost it will do that will, you know, of putting this all together for a lot of projects, which is a new thing for us. Um, so it's data collection costs and staff analysis and project management. Um, it is creating a data collection plan that meets, that basically understands the project and understands the type of data that needs to be collected to evaluate the project. Um, collecting that data before the project and then collecting the same type of data after the project and analyzing that. So for this, um, the first projects that we anticipate going, be going through this and being evaluated are Center Road, which uh, was completed in uh, the quick build group that VU leads, um, and then McLaughlin Avenue, which is a capital project, uh, which is also, um, a, I believe, completed in 2020. And so we're, we're near, I believe that we may soon have a year of after data for that as well. Um, and so this is the end of the first presentation. So I will hand 
uh, it back over to Councilmember Perales. All right, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for the, all the information. Um, I have a couple questions, but uh, I'm gonna go over to uh, members of the task force first. And I see our uh, vice chair, Councilmember Foley. Thank you, uh, and thank you for all of the presentations. Uh, really good information. I have a couple of questions regarding the uh, traffic enforcement unit and the uh, the crashes that are listed. Are those? I assume those crashes are related to police reports being issued. Is that how that data is collected? Where is Lieutenant? Anaya, are you there? There he is. Yes, I am. Sorry, couldn't find your name, Lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so the information that's provided to DOT uh, and DOT gathers that information um, is all provided and comes directly from our police report uh, data entry. Okay, so do we have any, and I don't know how we would collect this actually if there's no police report, but do we have any understanding or ability to access data on accidents that have occurred without a police report? We do not, not to my knowledge. So there are some, there is some information and, and usually what we're referencing here when we look at uh, collisions and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, um, we're looking at uh, injury, injury reports. And so um, most accidents that are not reported are typically and granted, I'm sure there is some that go unreported where there's an injury, but the majority of ones, when there's an injury, that's when the PD responds and we take a report. Okay, uh, thank you, that's helpful. And you had mentioned that the traffic enforcement unit, you've had increased number of officers. Can you tell me what your numbers are at this point? So right now in our enforcement side, uh, which, is, which are the guys who are out, guys and gals who are out writing citations, we are at 12 officers and two sergeants. So we have two teams, one day shift team and one swing shift team. And then we have our special events team, which I don't, I don't necessarily count, even though it falls under my umbrella, I don't necessarily count them towards my enforcement, uh, enforcement team, if you will. And that's another three. So total combined with myself in the unit, we have a total of 18. Okay, thank you. And that helps. And how do you deploy the officers, how and when do you know where to send them? Do you have a rotating schedule? How, how is that? How do you determine that? Yeah, that's actually a great question. We, we actually deploy equitably throughout the city. And what I mean by that is we deploy by division. So each day, uh, the unit is sent out to a particular division in the city. And I try to split up our day shift and our swing shift team. So we have that coverage uh, in basically in two different portions of the city each day. And we look at where our accidents or our collisions are occurring. And that information is provided uh, through DOT uh, when they get our information, but we also get information from our crime analysis unit. And we get a hotspot map every month at the beginning of each month. And we will look at that, we'll analyze that with my sergeants. And then my sergeants and I develop an enforcement plan. And then we deploy them to those particular areas where we are seeing the most collisions. Now those typically, as Jesse mentioned earlier in his slide, those typically coincide with our priority safety corridors where we're having the most collisions. So that is where we deploy and that's where we spend the majority of our time is in those particular areas. Thank you, I appreciate that. Do you think that 
writing more citations is more effective in slowing down traffic or just giving warnings? What, what do you think is the, in your opinion, what's the most effective strategy? Because we hear from our community, oh, they're just ticketing me for speeding. Well, yeah, you're speeding, so we're ticketing you, but is a warning more effective? What, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, and I can base this from personal experience. Um, I've been pulled over and given a warning and I've been pulled over and given a citation and uh, the citation hurts a lot more. It, uh, it, stings, it stings a little bit in the pocketbook sometimes, but it also makes you think twice when you're, when you're driving faster. So I think a mere presence and mere visibility is helpful. Um, I think the warnings are, are helpful, but um, you know, I'll, and I'll give you another personal example. My daughter got a citation uh, last week from CHP. And she's 23 years old, and she's she's working to uh, to save money, and it it hurts, and it, I know it definitely changed her behavior. And so, again, two personal experiences, not only myself, but also also for my family. Um, I think the citation works. I really do. Yeah, I won't share my own personal experiences on that, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, someone who I live near Hillsdale, one of the Vision Zero corridors that we're trying to slow down traffic. There is definitely a lot of speeding going on on that street. Um, th thank you. Um, I appreciate those answers. That, that's helpful. So I have questions regarding the walk, walk and roll program. And wondered, I, I love to see the pilot programs at the two schools that were involved. But when, will, when and where will we be expanding that program to other schools. I think sc other schools could really, you know, promoting walking and, and riding safely to school is a good strategy and it gets our children to think about health, number one, safety, number two, and getting out of vehicles when they, when they age. So, so Anne, what's the strategy for expanding the program? How will that happen? And I have any number of schools that I could throw out there and recommend. Thank you so much, Councilmember Foley. I would really appreciate it. So we should be in touch um, after this meeting or um, this week or next week. Um, we currently serve about 60 elementary and middle schools, um, mostly elementary. Um, we want to bring in, I mean, ideally, we'd love to have every public school in San Jose be part of the Walk and Bowl program. Um, we are expanding it um, also to high schools. Um, so our current funding allows us to do that. Our, our 2016 Measure B funding allows for that. Um, the uh, the pilot program for Viva Escuela was really well received. You know, even the neighboring uh, communities were very positive feedback. Um, so um, they both both those schools want to do it again, um, and we have other schools that are actually joining the program because they heard about it and they want to have their own Viva Escuela. Um, so we are, um, now that we have sort of like a, a template for how to do it, um, we, um, we expect and hope to do it at as many schools as our funding allows for. Um, we had a lot of uh, great cooperation from and the SJPD and Office of Cultural Affairs to streamline this process. So uh, we could use it as a way to introduce any schools that you have uh, in mind um, to the walk and roll program. Um, and, uh, you know, the, like, it, it's great, you know, to have kids walk and roll for all of the reasons that you said, you know, for, for their health, right? Is that we have recommended daily exercise uh, for kids. 
Um, and then um, this week I um, just happened upon a TED talk from um, an urban planner in Canada who said it's also great for um, sort of developing kids' autonomy. So for those of us, you know, I walked to school like in the 70s and, and you know, on the way back, there was like a little creek that I would stop by and I think I looked at it and collected stuff and put it back and all this stuff for like an hour after school. And those are some of my favorite memories. We really want kids to have that again. Um, as, as this person mentioned, uh, we went in one generation from most kids walking and biking to school to now most kids being driven to school. So we're here to change that, not only through Viva Escuela, but through um, safety education. Last year, we did it virtually. Um, so we didn't really, we, we paused the program in some ways, but we adjusted to the pandemic setting so that we could share safety education with kids. We've revamped our bike rodeo, which I explained in the, in the uh, presentation. Um, and, um, you know, working on just bringing in as many schools as possible. We are focusing on schools that are um, near Vision Zero corridors. Um, There's not to say that we won't take any school into the program. It's just that we are being a little more pre proactive about bringing those schools into the program. Okay. I have a couple of schools that border either side of Hillsdale, so that might be a good place to start. But uh, so... Uh, if uh, this is something that would be in partnership with the local schools, so can we connect PTAs, parent clubs would be the good conduit because they, they're the ones who have to get the buy-in. So can we maybe talk about how later and on how to get that information and connect you to, yeah. to some of the parent clubs? And, 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 and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave this and then uh, turn it back to you, Chair, is that uh, back in the day when I was elementary school age, which is a lot longer than you, Anne, I, uh, I walked to school on a regular basis. And, and uh, when I go to my hometown and do that drive, I think, wow, I really walked that every day, both directions. How did I? Because it was... It felt like it was probably close to a mile and I didn't complain about it, just what you did. We didn't even, you know, we didn't think about mom and dad taking us. Although I will also share when I got to high school, it was more like a three mile draw, a walk and I always make my dad give me a ride. So, cause I was always running late intentionally. Anyway, I'll leave you with that because uh, walking to school, it's, it, it was fun too. All right, thank you, council member Perales, I'm finished. Just taking two quick other things on some of your questions, Councilmember. Uh, one of them is that for crashes that are not in the police data, we have been trying to do or begin an initiative uh, reaching out to um, the county to bring in uh, injury data. Uh, that is a long project. So we've applied for that data and we are, uh, we've had one meeting with the council for the county so far, but we need to have more of them because they don't fully understand the concept. Um, so uh, that's, that is where that is. And then uh, the other thing we're talking about expanding um, the walk and roll program. One of the things that I highlighted in the presentation, because I think it's a cool new way to go, um, is the Y plan is an interesting model for uh, expanding to older school. Basically, like what the current walk and roll model is very much focused on elementary schools. Um, the Y plan model is an interesting way to engage middle and high school potentially. I believe that Y plan's next um, school that, that they're hopefully gonna work with us on is a middle school. Um, and so uh, we're interested to see if that's a strategy that we could use to uh, work with 
you know, the upper ages of school age children to engage them around the design of the roadway around their schools. Um, but and with a preference for ones that are near Vision Zero corridors. Great, thank you. All right, thank you. And uh, I apologize if there's some background noise. Uh, I'm in the basement, the furnace is right over here. And, uh, it's keeping my wife warm upstairs, but it's just making noise for me down here. Um, I don't see any other hands. I do have a couple questions myself. Um, and so thank you, uh, Councilmember Foley, for, for yours. Um, and I'll, I'll go into a, a, a couple of the, the items um, I think that, that you had touched on as well. And um, I, I think kind of going from personal experience, um, and I know, unfortunately, the data, um, I, I believe it was the same back when I was a young man uh, as it is today, where we have a lot of male drivers um, that ultimately are, are um, behind the wheel on, on these incidents. And, uh, and I know personally as well, uh, as a young male driver, um, it was very influential when I would get a ticket for uh, speeding as I, I got a couple of them. And, um, and, and in fact, to the point where if, uh, if I didn't have a ticket, um, right, and I knew that I, I had an ability to either get one, if you will, where it wouldn't affect my, my insurance, uh, um, or that potentially had an opportunity for a warning, um, it wasn't as I think, uh, you know, personally, you know, discouraging uh, as a driver, but as soon as I would get a ticket and I know that, all right, that's kind of, that's it. You know, if I get another ticket now, I'm, now I'm really, you know, looking at some trouble, um, both at home, uh, and, and, and literally with my license, but, uh, it, you know, it really slowed me down. It did. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I know, and as, I think Lieutenant and I was saying personal experience, um, you know, the, the, that, that consequence um, is, uh, is really influential to people's driving habits. Um, and I know, again, from personal experience, especially for, for young men who end up being behind the wheel on a lot of these cases um, and, and a lot of the motorcycle um, incidents as well. And, um, and I think any one of us likely has had the experience where uh, when you see a police vehicle or, or motorcycle um, on the road and you look down at your speedometer, right? Or, you, or you're like, am I speeding? Or you're nervous or whatever it may be. Uh, that that um, sort of gut reaction that, that happens to all of us, um, the reason that happens typically is because there's a consequence, right? Tied to, to that. Um, and it's, it's that, that ticket, that, that, um, that citation. And, um, and so you, you kind of, you know, you look to that. And so I think because of that, even just the, the presence, as we know, of, um, of marked units, uh, that in itself helps to, you know, uh, slow speed and helps to encourage people to follow the rules of the road, be more um, vigilant as, as drivers. And ultimately, something that right we we I had to learn right from my, my parents the comments as a young kid was uh, driving uh, and to have a license is a privilege, not a right. And um, and you know and 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 these are the um, the reasons why uh, you know it's not a speed limit um, doesn't 
simply exist so that officers can give uh, give us tickets. We're here in this task force because we know that it exists because it's the number one cause for these incidents for KSI speeding still that that number one cause. So uh, speed limits and then speed uh, enforcement exists because we're trying to reduce these numbers like our vision here down to zero. Um, right, we want people to be safe on our roads. Um, and we don't want people to be on either end of, of an incident like this, whether they're the victim um, or ultimately the driver, as we know, that changes their life uh, completely too. And so um, I, I have been advocating, as the Lieutenant knows, uh, for the increased um, units within our uh, traffic enforcement unit um, or increased officers, I should say, within the traffic enforcement unit. And uh, we are still woefully uh, inadequate in our staffing numbers. Um, but we recognize that we are still uh, inadequate in our overall staffing numbers within the police department. So we have to uh, build uh, accordingly. And, and um, I think we, you know, to adequately staff our city, we need to be back up to the 40 plus uh, traffic enforcement officers that we had um, over a decade ago. And, um, and just again, that visibility of seeing uh, those officers out there, I think is gonna make a, a significant difference um, and, uh, and I think we've seen it in these numbers, unfortunately, that is absolutely a factor in regards to the, the rise that we've seen in KSIs um, over the, the last decade. Um, in regards to the, the, the flyer that you were showing, and I, um, let's see here, I was trying to go to the, the slide that it was on. Um, And I don't think you have to put it up, but it was slide 23 and it was just the one that talked about crossing the crosswalk. And what I noticed there was that um, in the crossing safety tips and stuff, it didn't, it didn't say anything about the consequences. Um, and in this case, I'm not talking about citations uh, for like jaywalking. What I'm talking about is um, what we learned about in the data that we saw, um, which was an earlier slide and trying to go back to it, but 60 plus percent it was 65, 65% of the um, people walking uh, um, that were killed were crossing outside of the crosswalk. And so just kind of, I, I don't know if that's something that was already discussed and maybe there was a reason as to why, you know, we don't want to have some compelling info around, hey, um, you know, it's, it's, it's literally more unsafe um, to cross outside of the crosswalk and that we have, um, you know, a majority, 65% of individuals that, that, are, um, that are killed crossing outside the crosswalk. Was that a consideration, um, you know, including some kind of info or, you know, a sentence or something about that, uh, if, if somebody can speak to that? I think we could do that on the back. But what had happened was that we're, we're basically our, our precedent, in a sense, is the image behind my back here, which says, look out when it's dark out, and then it has the images that are similar and on the very bottom below, you can't probably can't read it, but I'll read it for you. It says over 250 people have died in traffic fatalities in San Jose in the past five years. Um, we felt that that secondary message got lost um, in the first version of the sign, um, but the first version of the sign doesn't have a back panel. Um, so we could um, see about having the data item on the back and see if it being the same size as the other, um, you know, safety tips would make it not get as lost. So um, I think that there's 
possible there's space for that we could give it a shot if we haven't printed it yet i'm, I'm fairly sure we haven't printed it yet okay yeah and that was um that was the idea and i appreciate that in that first version there um that that, that kind of message got lost um and i wouldn't want it to necessarily just be that like a small side note i, I do think it's important or significant something right that says um, you know, 65% of, of fatalities, right, of pedestrian fatalities are happening outside the crosswalk or something like that, that, that you know, gets you to think like, oh, okay, this, you know, uh, I, I know I should cross in the crosswalk. Oh, but God, that, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a pretty high number or, or significant, um, you know, uh, probability if I'm not. So uh, thank you for taking that feedback. And, uh, and I do see that backside of the version. That's where I was looking at it actually on those cross safety tips is, you know, could it, could it exist there? Um, so I appreciate that. I, I do think you're bringing up a good point, and it's the sort of main thing that we have is basically the the trouble here is that we're trying to educate adults, and adults have been crossing the street their whole life. Um, and so, how do you tell adults who've been crossing the street their whole life um, that they're not being attentive enough? And so, I think that you know, possibly by messaging that, um, we we might be able to make the point about why we're trying to do this. Okay, great, thank you. And my last question is actually in regards to um, part of the presentation you brought up on Capital Expressway and Center. We know that Center Road is something we've been focused on, obviously, um, as a priority corridor, priority safety corridor. Um, but it looks like this, at this particular intersection, right, we have a county road um, and then uh, a city road. And so um, I wanted to see what is, and maybe from both DOT and then county roads and airports, um, what are the plans that, that we have collaboratively to uh, create some safety improvements at this intersection? And either team can go first. Um, I'm happy to have county go first if you'd like to. We, as a general introduction, we did redesign Center Road um, and Vu's team uh, in 2020. And um, so, you know, obviously the intersection of a different um, jurisdiction, so Center Road is in city jurisdiction and Capital Expressway is in county jurisdiction. Um, whenever we have that overlap, we obviously have to work in a new way with, it, with a partner. And so um, the urban logic tool highlights the need to do that. And um, the county roads and airports, they are working on an active transportation plan. So there's kind of a, an opportunity right now as they develop that plan to uh, have this be a part. And I believe they're bringing that to us soon. And we're actually hoping that they'll present it at the next task force meeting in the first one in 2022. We've talked to them about that. Um, but we, um, we're also hoping that by, you know, us beginning to use the urban logic platform and it highlighting these big intersections where there's more crashes and more injuries that that will, um, you know, begin to give us the insights where we can have these intersection by intersection conversations, such as capital and center. So uh, we hope to do that and then, you know, hopefully very soon. And uh, so I'll hand it over to Harry if you want to make some comments or not. Yeah, thank you for the question. Thank you, Jesse. Um, well, we appreciate the presentation and um, we're very sensitive to safety on our, our roadways. Um, we operate a variety of roads. Expressways are a very unique type of road. And uh, we recognize that. This uh, segment of Capital 
Expressway, uh, you know, between 87 and all the way to 280 um, is on your um, your priority network. We're that's the reason why we're on this uh, task force. We're you know we're ready and uh, willing, and uh, look forward to uh, working collaboratively with the city on the installation. Um, you know when when there's a roadway that has you know, two legs essentially uh, of one jurisdiction and two legs of another, it's really important that whatever is installed is a, a comprehensive uh, installation. So with that said, you know I, I have a couple of comments. One one is it's important for us to get access to the urban logic tool. Um, you know that's the first time I've seen it. And I, I'm sure that. Jesse shared it with some of our staff, but we need access to that tool. Um, we share all of our um, all of our crash data um, is available and shareable with, with the um, city, and it's a public it's public information. the The crash rate is fascinating to me because um, right now uh, the city is um, reporting it as an aggregate number, not a, not a rate. And typically, um, rates relate to you know vehicle miles traveled per hundred thousand people, and when you look at a road like Capital, that has an average daily traffic of seventy thousand vehicles. Seventy thousand—that uh, is a, a massive number of vehicles. Um, it is a high-speed roadway, and we would be very interested in seeing um, the correlation between. The quick builds that have been installed by the city and the subsequent, hopefully, reduction in the targeted type of crashes that are occurring. Um, you know, I've talked to your John Risto about that, and I'm sure that it's very difficult to correlate data right now with COVID. Uh, but we, you know, the one fatality at that intersection was a very high speed motorcycle fatality, very high speed. And um, you know, I, I'm not. We're not exactly sure what what means we would have for street racing or impaired drivers, and we need to dig deeper into that, and we need to understand what types of collisions are occurring, and then design thoughtfully design those improvements to target those collisions or those behaviors that are occurring uh, by drivers, especially if those behaviors or those collisions can be correlated to roadway improvements that deceive drivers or lead drivers to uh, a sense of um, comfort where they their comfort level needs to be reduced so they correspondingly slow down. I think the same is for pedestrians. We both have data that shows five KSIs in five years. Um, so we we're looking forward to the opportunity to do that. I know that's a little bit of a long answer, but it's important. I, I, I really would be fascinated to see the correlation between the quick builds that San Jose has been investing in and the, the, the corresponding reduction in crashes um, or the quick build targeted reduction. We completely understand the desire to improve the pedestrian environment. Um, and I think that's a kind of a separate view because a lot of the pedestrian improvements are really viewed as livability um, and comfort 
Um, but when we, we haven't seen, you know, kind of the pedestrian, you know, crashes, and we'd be very sensitive to seeing whether or not that's a, an issue at this location. So a bit of a, a bit of a lot of information, but I think the bottom line is we look forward to working and we would like to install improvements at that intersection. They just need to be carefully designed and, and, and target uh, the behaviors that we're trying to correct. So thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, certainly, um, and that's, you know, I think one of the reasons we're uh, happy to be having everybody here within these conversations because it it does um, you know, it does get complicated uh, in particular intersections, as you point out, Harry, that where there's two legs with one jurisdiction, two with another, and being able to ensure that we're we're you know looking at all the the same data and um, and being able to to make the correct improvements um is is important and as our dot staff knows and i brought it up at the last task force meeting um it's an interest of mine as well to understand the um the benefits of our quick build projects or you know or, or are they lacking of benefits and then do we need to shift gears right and so uh, being able to 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 get um, that analysis and these are all fairly new. Um, I think I, I also will have a follow up. I know we're, we're running a little bit behind now um, for maybe the next meeting, but with some of the quick builds because they are um, they're not you know a, a permanent uh, material uh, like I've seen in downtown. Now you get cars driving over those pylons and then the pylon gets you know completely squished and then it's gone and <laughs> and now it's you know now it's not as uh, uh, deterring um, or, or directing people um, in the way that, that we would hope. Um, nonetheless, I think uh, I appreciate uh, that comment and response and look forward to uh, hearing back and maybe as Jesse said, um, an opportunity to, to hear a little bit more about what um, the county's plans are um, because you do have a, a large um, you know, infrastructure um, to oversee yourself. Okay, I don't see any other hands. Um, we are just a couple minutes behind. And so we'll move on to the next section here. We'll welcome in uh, Sarah uh, Labatt, I believe, uh, or Labatt, and Susie uh, Beecroft from EMC Research. Uh, they'll be presenting uh, about 15 minutes and then we'll follow with our Q&A and then uh, finish up with open forum. All right, hi, this is Rebecca Graham, actually. I'm from MIG and I wanna just set the stage for Sarah and um, Susie's presentation. So we are um, consultant hired for the Vision Zero Strategic Communications. And um, before we just kind of go out with communications, we wanna take a moment to look and um, assess awareness of the problem of pedestrian and, of, and street safety um, and awareness of Vision Zero as well. So we wanna, we're looking at um, a lot of different aspects and when we're looking at a lot of complicated information, we uh, want to enlist EMC to get really clear data back about what people who don't know about this, this meeting, people who don't know about Vision Zero, but are just using the streets. Um, so they uh, are gonna walk us through that quantitative survey process, which is the first step in our strategic communications. Take it away, Sarah. Great. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah Labatt. I'm a principal with EMC Research. My colleague Susie Beecroft is here as well, um, but I'll be doing the talking today. And I believe somebody has a deck to load up that I'll be walking through. So hopefully they can do that. Okay. Just a moment on that case. Um, oh. I need to retrieve it. 
Oh, I have it if you want me oh. to just share it from yeah, here. Actually, okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Go I ahead. just wasn't sure um, what you want, sure, but sure. I can Go do ahead. it. Thank you. All right. Uh, let me get this all the way. Okay. Hopefully you all can see that screen. Someone give me a thumbs up if you can. Please. Yes, yes. Great, thank you. Okay. Um, okay, so yeah, I'll walk through. I'll try to be fairly brief. I'm happy to take questions. Um, quick intro about EMC Research. We're a full service opinion research firm. Our specialty is opinion research. So our, as Rebecca was alluding to, the work we do is really helping to understand how members of the public interact, um, understand, think about street safety, Vision Zero, or whatever the topic is we work on. So in this case, um, Vision Zero. Um, but our, our work really is focused on bringing um, the opinion uh, and thoughts of the public um, to uh, groups such as yourself. We do all kinds of qualitative and quantitative research. We've been here in the Bay Area doing this work for over 30 years. I personally have been here for almost 20. Um, so we really uh, have a really good look at what, what people think about a lot of things here um, in the work we do. Uh, we've done a lot of work in San Jose and Santa Clara County. I grew up in Santa Clara County as well, not in San Jose, but spent plenty of time um, down in your area, so very familiar with the city. Um, we also worked with MIG most recently um, for many years on the San Francisco Vision Zero program and really supporting the marketing and communications efforts around that and some of their innovative ways that they've been really tackling this challenge in San Francisco. Um, different challenge, um, but certainly a lot of the same consequences that they're really trying to, to make headway on. Um, our work, you know, we really try to innovate um, just because we've been around a long time. We're always open to learning new methods, and certainly in our line of work, we have to be open to new methods as new ways to communicate come online. We do a lot of inclusive and multilingual research, um, including in this case, which I'll talk about here in a minute. And um, the other thing we like to do is really make sure we stay on for the life of the use of our work. So we'll collect the data, we'll help design it. Um, and help you all work with what are we learning, but also we'll stay on. So if there's questions and other things that come up later, we're always happy to come in and say, well, you know, in the research we did, this is the perspective on that question. Next slide, please. Oh wait, it's me. <laughs> I already forgot, it's Friday. Um, so for this work, um, you know, what we've been brought in to do here is um, an a market research baseline survey, a quantitative survey, um, and really what we're trying to do, when I say benchmark, we're trying to set levels of understanding of various items, really with the intent that later you might do more quantitative research and track change over time as a result of the actions you're taking or the communications that you're putting out. So the things we're really focused on benchmarking here, um, attitudes about traffic safety, pedestrian cyclist safety in San Jose, Awareness and understanding of Vision Zero in San Jose. Do people know what it is? Do they know what it's trying to do? Um, and also questions about driving behaviors and different transportation mode usage. So really understanding um, you know, the ways that they're choosing to get around and the behaviors they say that they're exhibiting and how do those line up with the goals of Vision Zero. And really our goal here is to establish a, a sort of tangible touchstone to assess um, the change and impact of all of your Vision Zero program efforts through the comparison of these results from this survey to potential future tracking surveys. So really understanding what can we learn now so that later once you've taken actions and done things and tried to get out there and um, change either physical environments or create communications, then we can use this to track any change against, um, against this current baseline. 
So a quick overview of how we're going to do this particular piece of research. This is a statistically representative quantitative survey of adult San Jose residents. Um, the method we're using is called address-based sampling. Everything old is new again, and in our industry that means mail surveys are back um, through the mail. Um, we're not actually surveying through the mail, but rather what we do is we take um, a, a list of um, addresses in San Jose. That's sort of the best, most robust source of contact information is mailing addresses. There's 98% coverage from the U.S. Postal Service. It allows us to select Everybody has an equal chance of being selected into this random sample. We send them invitations through the physical mail to participate in the survey, but they're asked to participate primarily in an online survey tool. So you'll get a postcard. If you're selected, you'll get a postcard in the mail. It says, we're doing a survey. You've been randomly selected. Um, it has a, a link to an online survey. There's also options if they can't do it online or prefer not to, they can call in and do it by phone. We also do have the ability to mail out surveys for people who really can't do it in any other way. We want to make sure it's as inclusive as possible so that the randomly selected households that are chosen can participate in the survey. Each postcard comes with a unique passcode so that protects them from uh, it protects access to the survey to only the individuals selected. They can only get in with the passcode and they can only do it one time. Um, and so, you know, this methodology, uh, it's a little bit slower than other methodologies, but we really find that it's very broad and inclusive and allows us to get a really high quality representative sample um, of a very diverse community, making sure there's options available for everyone to participate. Um, we're targeting 600 to 800 interviews here with the mail. Uh, it's a little bit more of a passive collection um, process, so we kind of give a range. We'll, the 600 is the floor, but we always overshoot it just, um, you know, because the response rates are a little bit variable. Um, we'll offer the survey in English, Spanish, and Vietnamese, so anyone can take it through any mode, through any of those languages that they choose, and the postcard will be printed in all of those languages as well. And it'll take the average respondent about 15 minutes to complete the survey, um, which is a sort of typical burden level for a survey of this type. Um, just some quick notes on representative sampling. Essentially, this is the key to why we can do a survey of a smaller group of people and project it over the entire population um, that we're sampling from. Um, you know, we start with a random sample of households and the male-driven uh, methodology really gives us the best place to start for that. We monitor responses as they come in, track demographics, and compare them against known census counts for the city. Um, to make sure that the sample we're getting is reasonably reflective of the distribution of the population of the city. We do a lot of targeted reminders using phone calls, text messages, anything we can find to get more contact information beyond mailing address for people. And we target those towards under-responding groups. Um, you know, we know certain groups um, demographically are less responsive to surveys generally, so we sort of start out with a strategy to make sure we are planning to and budgeting to follow up with those particular populations that have been selected into the survey to make sure they're responding um, proportionally to the rest of the city. We do use um, data weighting where necessary to adjust the sample once we're done to make sure it's really reflective of the population. And we protect the survey uh, with a passcode to make sure um, every selected um, person can only participate once and they can't sort of pass it to their friends and get a bunch of other people to take it. The design requires um, strict access control to the survey. So it's not the kind of survey where you put it on your website and send everyone to take it. Rather, they need to be randomly selected into the sample 
um, for, to be allowed to take the survey because that protection allows us to tell you at a, a known margin of error, known, known margin of sampling error, what these results mean um, projected over the whole city. Um, don't worry about the data in these charts, but we wanted to give you a look at what our charts typically look like. This is not San Jose data. You don't have to read it, but we wanted to sort of show you once we complete the interviewing, we go through the data, clean and analyze and weight it. We produce cross tabulations, provide you with a top line as well as a whole report with a lot of charts that graphically represent what we learned. And really that's so that we want to make sure this data gets used. So we'll work with um, the Vision Zero team, with MIG, um, to make sure that um, you, everybody understands what have we learned and how to use it. Um, we always are running cross tabs after the fact and, and answering other questions. So, you know, we're, we, we want to make sure you know we're not just sort of giving you the data, we're really staying here to help you use it and understand it. Quick overview of the timeline. Um, I think this is the, the end here for me. Um, we're in the survey design phase now. Um, we're just finalizing the survey instrument. We've had some uh, excellent meetings with a lot of input from the whole range of the team. Um, and we are just getting to finalizing the survey questionnaire. We'll be working on um, preparing for the mailing, the survey mailing for the rest of this month, um, which we've already started to prepare for and getting it programmed and ready to start data collection. The data collection will start uh, that second week of January. Um, so we wait till after the holidays. Um, December is a pretty bad time for mail-driven surveys. You're probably experiencing this, like lots of mail in the mailbox. So we usually try to hold a survey like this till after the new year when it's a little bit quieter um, in terms of mail. Um, so we start our data collection in January. It usually takes about six to eight weeks to do that data collection. Um, we want to leave plenty of time for the mail to land, for reminders to happen, et cetera. Um, then we'll be working on analysis um, and coming back with some reporting and ongoing starting in March or April um, and moving forward from there. So a few months out till you see some results. Um, but we wanted to give you kind of the overview of the process and where we are right now. That is everything I have today. And with that, I'll stop sharing, and I'm happy to take any questions from the group. Thank you very much. All right. Um, looking for any hands up. Not seeing any at the moment right now. I appreciate you providing that update. Um, and for the work that you're that you're doing with us on that, um, I don't have any questions myself. Um, we'll just continue to encourage, similar to the last item, um, that we find ways to collaborate and work together, especially on data sharing, as it sounded like on that last item. And then, um, obviously, that's the opportunity that we have here with these meetings is to ensure that uh, we are on the same page um, as we move through all of this work. Okay. Thank no. Nope. Yep. Thank you. No specific questions on that. So we will move to our open forum, uh, and we will uh, allow uh, two minutes. Uh, we do have a number of hands up, but we'll allow uh, two minutes. And for those that haven't participated, you can use the raise hand function on Zoom. Um, if you're calling in by phone, you will use star nine uh, to raise your hand, and then press star six uh, when we call on your name to speak. Uh, and our DOT staff um, will place up the timer uh, and, and call on folks to let you know um, when your turn is. I'll now turn it over to Anna Lee from DOT.
And Anna, I'm not sure if you're saying anything, but we can't hear you. Sorry, I have a little problem with my technical here. Give me one second. No worries, thank you. And Tara, if you can help me with the unmute and new button. Uh, yes, sure. Okay, council member, I'm ready for you to call the first Great. public speaker. Thank you very much. Uh, first up will be Tessa Woodmans. Hello, you can hear me, I guess. I don't, there's my little card. Yes. Okay, good. Yes, we can hear you. Thank you, sweet. Thank you, sweet. Okay, good. So, yeah, I mean, very good. Thank you for having Vision Zero and all the people there and all the research, but really the research is in because it's really engineering our roads. All the money should be going towards engineering our roads. And I've been saying that, you know, for many years. And, you know, when I call up and I say, hey, there's a problem on uh, Coleman, you know, between Heading and Taylor that needs to be, you know, we need a bike lane there because it's so unsafe. And even on the Alameda, after the millions we spend on the Alameda, it's very unsafe to ride on the Alameda. It was not done for bicycles. Oh, bicycles are supposed to go on Park Avenue. That, that doesn't work, that's BS. You know, it needs to work on all our roads and very, very unsafe on the Alameda, almost deathly, you know, cause you, you made these bulb outs and, you know, for pedestrian, you know, to slow the traffic, very good, but there's no place for the bikes. And it's very, very unsafe. And, and then what's happening, you know, in terms of our, you know, um, you know, helping businesses by letting them be on our roads. I've been telling that over and over that our bike lanes are being taken up by our, by the corporations that you're, you know, because they support your, you know, your campaigns and it's, it's wrong. It's not vision zero. So that that's the, those issues. And we really, so it's really engineering our roads for safety. Like even on Stockton Avenue, there's a, the curve, the, the, the radius of the curves is terrible. It needs to be like Japantown, very squared off the, the corners. So they did a lot of work on Julian and Stockton. But it's still a, you know, the, the radius is, is just like, like I call it, you know, a zoom on to a highway, you know, you know, it's, it's bad. And so we need to fix all of those on Stockton, all of the um, radiuses of the corners. And, and then lighting is also I'm hearing, you know, that both Lenzen and Julian, bad lighting. And so, you know, these are engineering issues. All right, thank you. Next up will be Mary Lou Avanzino. Good morning, everyone. I'm grateful to be able to talk to you. I live on Edenvale Avenue, the street that the Hayes Mansion is on, which you probably know. It is a, a long street that um, there are speeders and it's dangerous. And I and neighbors have been lobbying our district representative, uh, uh, Sergio Jimenez, and before him, Ash Kaura and DOT to make the street safer. Over the five years, not much has happened. Yes, they decreased the speed limit from 35 to 30, but that made no effect. And then they put an edge line in and that has had little or no effect. The reason I'm talking to you now is that uh, the, over the discussion of a crosswalk, we have asked DOT for a crosswalk, especially uh, a, at a gate where there's a mobile home park where the uh, residents come out of the gate and there's no sidewalk on that side of the street there. They have to walk right onto the street 
to get over to the other side. We've asked DOT for a crosswalk there or another place because there is no crosswalk the entire, about one eighth of a mile, there's no crosswalk. And this is what DOT has told us in the past, that a crosswalk, quote unquote, gives the public a false sense of security. So you can't, you can't have it both ways, not putting in a crosswalk and then somehow uh, int intimating that the public isn't using a crosswalk because there is no crosswalk oftentimes where there should be a crosswalk. So I wanted to let you, the committee, know that sometimes the public asks for a crosswalk, but they don't get it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, uh, next up will be Colin user one. Let's see, we have crime running rampant and you guys are you know, beefing up the traffic enforcement, please. I mean, you guys sound like Orange County all of a sudden, man. You ain't gonna have to pay these high fines. You don't care if it hurts. That's what I heard from, from the lieutenant. Nice fake story too about the daughter getting the ticket. What's gonna happen is that lieutenant is gonna call the other lieutenant and CHP, and, and the ticket's going to get thrown out, or daddy's going to pay it. So I, these fake cop stories, please, I, I've, I've heard it before. And, uh, you know, you wonder why people want to defund the police. Well, when you get traffic tickets and how they treat you like, you know, like you're a huge criminal because you went 10 miles over the speed limit, you wonder why, right? You wonder why you have to have toy drives every other week during Christmas time. Well, because you have to make yourself look good after you know you gave a ticket for someone for a thousand dollars, right? And raise their insurance rates. And it's look if there was no money attached to it, you wouldn't do it. Okay, it's revenueing. It's it, it's a bottom feeder way to get money, especially towards the end of the year. You guys are all hot and heavy for it at the end of the year. You got to make your quotas. You guys say you don't have them and they're illegal, but you do. It's just in in another way. But this whole thing makes me want to puke. Defund the TEU and put the money into proper crime enforcement overnight when the real crime happens, the felonies, the misdemeanors, the break-ins. You guys are going for the infractions during bankers' hours to revenue the public, and it's the only thing you have left, parking and, 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 and tickets. Because that's the only power you have left because you can't arrest people who, who do real crimes because you guys don't push the DA, Rosen, for a real crime. It's easy to push a traffic court uh, judge to, to have a 100% prosecution rate like you're in communist China. All right. Our next speaker will be Edgar Ariano. Hi, hello. Hey, we can hear you. Awesome. Uh, Edgar Ariano, uh, Programs Manager at Com uh, California Walks. Uh, we've partnered with a few of y'all before. Um, I just, in the interest of uh, collaboration and sharing resources, um, and in response to uh, Councilmember Foley's question regarding the um, missing data and stuff, um, there is a tool that we use and we've facilitated, um, you know, data collection for communities that may not report injuries, go to the hospital, you know, do the secondary steps after a crash. Um, the tool is called Street Story. It's based out of the uh, Berkeley Safe Trek office. Um, you can look it up at streetstory.berkeley.edu. 
Um, it's a tool that, at least in San Jose, looking at the map there, there's missing data still about, you know, those unreported crashes and stuff. Um, but I, I urge you all to look into those tools as well, because there are narratives, stories, people who prefer not to share out some of the impacts to them uh, due to various reasons. Um, I also am very encouraged to hear some of the design and sustainable efforts to really do the infrastructure fixes rather than unsustainably go down this path of more enforcement, which really targets communities that are in need of infrastructure fixes. So um, great work by the Vision Zero team and everybody who is taking on those design challenges. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you, Edgar. Uh, next up will be Gina LeBlanc. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, welcome, Gina. Hi, I'm in my car, but I'm not driving because that would be irresponsible, so I pulled over. Um, I just want to reinforce that, um, you know, this is a Vision Zero task force, and our vision is still zero. And the, the data, there's tons of data, but our numbers are not dropping. And I know road design is at the top of the list, and that it just has to be, we have to move on these quick builds, and they have to be quicker, quicker, quick builds. And so with that, I have some questions that maybe can be addressed on the website, or you can email me, Jesse. But um, number one, that we passed uh, the infrastructure bill and the federal government. Um, will San Jose have access to these safety improvement dollars? Can we use the money? Because I'm always told we don't have enough money from our quick bills or whatever. But there's money out there. What can we use? What can we do for our city? Um, also, that there was a passage of AB 43, the ability to reduce our speed limits. Can San Jose do this anywhere? Please. Um, can we get school zones down to 15 miles per hour? Um, and also, my last question is about the status of the grant for Kirtner Avenue. My son Kyle was killed as a pedestrian on Kirtner Avenue, and so it's top of my mind always. And um, I know there were meetings last summer. I'd really love to know the progress of that. I'd really love to get an update. Thank you all for what you're doing. And um, it's really important. And I really want to get to zero. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Uh, and actually, I think it would benefit everybody uh, to add to one of our future agendas. And we've discussed this um, in our planning around the infrastructure bill, but also other resources uh, and legislative updates. We've done that before, and I think we, we absolutely will do that again uh, at a future meeting. Um, and then encourage uh, our DOT staff, if there is anything independently, you can reach out to Gina on uh, for obviously that next meeting, which won't be until next year. Uh, if you could do that, please. Next up will be Paul Soto. Uh, yes, Paul Soto from the Horseshoe. Um, uh, thank you, Edgar, for participating in this meeting. Um, this meeting needs to hear what you have to say. I'm a part of that population and um, I get real um, almost sickened by the grant making process because the, the citizens that are getting hit on the streets and killed, okay, those are hit and runs, okay? And the, the city is, doesn't give that person any kind of resources to sustain themselves. They, they, were, they happen late at night. And so this person is homeless, this person is poor, okay? But as soon as he gets hit and killed, he becomes very, very valuable 
to places like Vision Zero because they're going to write a grant and they're going to extract money from his dead body. But yet when he was alive, he was worth nothing as far as what the city was concerned. But now he's valuable. That to me is, is, is sick. And a lot of money that is created and generated to support this particular meeting is extracted from that. That's a problem. I got a problem with that. I got a serious problem with that. And the, and the fact that others don't, that's a problem too. Okay, secondly, this, 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 this survey, it's not going to be accurate. It's just not going to be accurate. I'm telling you, Mexicans are not going to sit there for 15 minutes and fill out something so that you can have more data points. That's just not going to happen, period. I guarantee you, I, I want to know what kind of data you're collecting on the people that are killed on the street. I want races. I want income levels. I want all that information. And that's information that you're not given because one of the primary ways that redlining affected people was infrastructure. I mean, come on, people, we needed equity definition so that we can really start applying it to the places where it most needed, which is this particular department. And next up is Robin Romer. Hi, um, good morning. Thank you so much for the meeting. I wanted to comment on that on the crosswalk discussion and because I feel crosswalks are really important and there are lots of things that kind of get mixed up that might even warrant making them their own topic. And obviously when I talk to my daughters, they're six and nine, when I talk to them over crossing the street, I say, go to the crosswalk, go to the safest place you can find to cross the road. Um, that, that's not the question. I think for us as kind of the adults and the planners in the room on how we design roads, we can't focus on the individual behavior of the pedestrian because they are more likely the victim than the perpetrator. And um, you often have 70 year old grandmas getting killed. And if you hit a grandma on the road, it doesn't really matter if she's in a crosswalk or not. You, if you drive in a way that you hit a grandma, you're going too fast. And I think that's really important in that discussion. And um, one of the previous debates also made a really good point about San Jose have, having, having policies that kind of make it sometimes difficult to get a crosswalk at a location where you want it or need it. Um, so when we talk about messaging, I think instead of trying to reach every pedestrian, especially maybe near homeless encampments, why don't I, I would more suggest to put up signs saying, um, hey, drive slowly, pedestrians could be in the road and to focus really on, on the driver behavior there. Um, also, the police has kind of a habit in their press releases to discuss if a person was in a marked crosswalk, which is totally irrelevant, I think, um, because often they miss that the person might have been in an unmarked crosswalk, which also affects exist. Um, and last point, there's just a national trend and on state level as well to decriminalize jaywalking because of the racist and fascist history that it has. So the whole debate about forcing people into crosswalks is a lot more complex, I think, than we could acknowledge in this meeting today. Thank you, Robin. Uh, next up will be Rosalind Aguilar. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Vision Zero Task Force. My name is Rosalinda Aguilar, and I am the president of the Guadalupe Washington Neighborhood Association. Uh, first off, I want to say I appreciate all the hard work that the Vision Task Force has done to date. Uh, but I do want to implore you to please start looking at the residential communities like ours. 
that have historically have had heavy traffic accidents and have had high traffic, um, just high traffic in general. Um, our community is both an entrance and an exit to the downtown area. Our streets are filled by speeders who, who um, speed through our neighborhood and have no regard for the safety of our residents. I also want to uh, let you know that we also had a fatality at the corner of Almaden and Willow on the Calle Willow Corridor um, this last summer. Uh, 30 years ago, my six-year-old cousin was killed, um, not in the intersection, she was on the sidewalk, but was killed by a car that um, sped out of control and went up on the sidewalk. Um, you throw out statistics and numbers, but to those of us that have lost family members, there's a lot of trauma behind the statistics, um, trauma that stays in our family forever. Um, and I just, I know there's no complaints here. I just wanna um, point out that at this corner, there was also a speed monitor display that was placed there that I know is very costly and it was broken for a few years. It was recently fixed and we appreciate that. Now there's a bunch of overgrown trees that um, cover that speed monitor display. And I think things like that, like um, the maintenance of the speed monitor displays, the trees that might be covering them. I just feel like the city can do a better job at regular maintenance so that we don't have to keep begging for these things to be fixed. Um, that's all I have to say. I do appreciate all the work that you've done for our city. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up will be Sayanan uh, Sivaraman. Hi there, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great. Um, so I noticed in the meeting, first of all, thanks to the Vision Zero Tax Force, I'm glad that um, the city is pursuing this. Um, and I'm glad to see that we understand that there's a contribution from infrastructure and also a contribution from enforcement. And I noticed that missing data is uh, an issue that keeps coming up. So I had a question, maybe more so for the police department, um, if I'm out and about and I see a near miss, should I, or like, you know, street racing or just like blatant speeding, I mean, should I call that in on the non-emergency line so we have more data? Or is that just going to like over, overwhelm the um, dispatch? Uh, this is an opportunity for public comment, so it's not um, an engagement between any of the presenters or, or yourself, but I can answer that once you're done. Okay, yeah, I'm done. Okay, that type of data uh, would not be data that would be recorded by the police department and transferred over to DOT as far as like near near misses. Um, it is worthwhile conversation as you've heard us, we brought that up before, um, but unfortunately not something. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily um, encourage you to call that in. That wouldn't be something that would be recorded. Um, next up will be Buki Wilson. Hello, I wanted to... Um... Thank you for all the efforts that you've made. Uh, I do appreciate them. I've noticed in the last three years, uh, I would be focusing more on bicycle infrastructure. I've noticed that you have lanes and uh, I think the, the designer, I've had conversations with him. Um, more of a comment on uh, the enforcement of those, uh, like you yourself had mentioned, Raul, that the, a lot of the ballards have been smashed and you see, I see people merging in them and, and then it becomes, well, what's, that's not typically safe. I don't mind traffic. I kind of have a, history of cycling and I, I sort of like that manicness, but when I'm with my wife, she doesn't like it as much. So it, it doesn't really uh, lend to be very safe or at least feel safe. And ultimately um, speeding seems to be the thing that uh, the overlying theme of all of this, you know, if you can, if you can stop for a pedestrian, no matter where they're crossing, you're not going 
you know, that fast, you can stop. I mean, I'm not talking about expressways, I'm talking about uh, surface streets. I live in the Nagley Park area and I clearly hear people speeding at least probably up to 40 miles an hour, if not more. I noticed you had like a speed thing on Williams Road, which was great. I think people saw that and they slow down. The minute you take it down, people are flying by there, hitting the cement barriers, knocking down neighbor's trees. Basically, I think just speed and and then also enforcement and uh, maintenance of the uh, cycling roads too, because I've actually had um, a lot of not only moving out of, of the lane to make accommodations for the illegally parked car. So now I'm in traffic. I've also, I'm also catching debris and getting flat tires, which, you know, I know it's not only holier thing, but there's a lot of broken glass and debris in those lanes as well. That's my time. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, next up will be Blair Beekman. Hi, thanks for the meeting today. Uh, as always, it is open public policies and accountability that can help better define our good practices and good direction and organization. There are still some possibly serious issues with KSI statistics we are just starting to clear up. We first need to organize how a task force to, can address organized crime more directly and law enforcement questions at this time, and to acknowledge that 4G, 5G, and now smart streetlight LED technology are simply uh, putting a whole lot of new surveillance and data collection into our local neighborhoods. It is from this place, then we can, uh, you know, once we have that organized and understood, I think that can allow uh, uh, ourselves to, 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 to focus on uh, task force organized crime issues more directly and, and to start to focus then to return to the focus <laughs> of Vision Zero issues which I think should be first and foremost. We should talk about these law enforcement questions in terms of, uh, you know, there's speed light uh, camera issues, AOPR issues. We can return to those good subjects and what needs to be, you know, a very measured minimal process for the future of this sort of technology in our local neighborhoods. That has good open public policy ideas. Um, we can organize with all that's going on right now with the law enforcement questions and such. Uh, I'm trying to, in my haphazard way, explain ways to do this. With 31 seconds, the well-established, well-organized good ideas of reimagined equity, open public policy ideas, and of course, green sustainability is how law enforcement tools can become a more open community-centered dialogue to solve issues. And from this, we can invite current looters and criminals themselves to help contribute to their better ideas and concepts of open participatory community democracy and more positive long-term community sustainability. This is a project we need to work on together. Let's organize and do this well. Thank, Thank you, Blair. Uh, next will be caller with the last four digits ending in 4379. And again, you'll have to press star six uh, to unmute yourself. Hi, um, uh, I just wanted to thank Edgar for um, bringing up street, uh, street Story and the last caller that mentioned near-miss data. Um, it, it's incredibly important and unfortunately, um, I'll just bring up that I, I did send this tool, this exact tool to the DOT um, more than a year ago and just, you know, explaining and well, I mean, I, and they know the importance, but um, just kind of putting it out there, this, this is a great uh, tool for communities to adopt and you know, I, I think it's just been dismissed. And so now we still don't have that data, you know, a year or two years later. Um, 
it's sad to see that the traffic fatalities are still close to um, a, you know a 25 year high of 60. I think the data point is. Um, and I'll just mention that this year the council approved a budget that suspended a council policy to allocate excess construction excise taxes. Um, and as a result, the council reallocated over $4 million in excess taxes from pavement maintenance and traffic safety to projects like the airport connector that have absolutely no impact on traffic related deaths. Um, this $4 million could have been used to speed up pavement maintenance and traffic safety projects uh, for bikes and peds. Um, this funding also could be used to staff up to deliver these projects quick quicker as the budget um, dictates. So um, it, it's just, it's really disappointing, um, you know, and I brought that up to several, well, all of the council members that sure, uh, pavement maintenance might be fully funded over a five or 10 year span, but um, when traffic related deaths remain at a high, we should be um, delivering these projects quicker than, you know, waiting for that 10 or 10 year timeline. Um, so it, it was unfortunate, but, you know, at least we're gonna have a fancy airport connector that the mayor's prioritizing. Um, it, it's it's a bit telling to see how much of a priority uh, these these um, deaths really are. Thank you. I think in our last speaker will be Nancy Macias. Okay, hello. Can you hear me? <clears throat> yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Good morning. Um, so I live in the Northside um, neighborhood here in San Jose. It's District Three, so it might be just outside of Vision Zero. But um, I did want to say that there is a lot of um, what I feel it might be non-local traffic that really does speed down 10th Street and 11th Street. Um, and right down the street from me, we have an elementary school. So it's Grant Elementary School and a library. So it's Joyce Ellington Library. They're right next to each other, um, which makes the community really walkable, you know, or at least it's inviting to, you know, have the elementary school there to have, you know, wanting families to maybe encourage their children to walk to school, like we were mentioning earlier, or bike to school. But it is extremely scary to try to cross 10th Street, um, say on Washington, for example. Um, there are pedestrians that will cross on Washington anyway, even though there isn't a crosswalk there. Just because our neighborhood is very walkable, a lot of people like to, you know, go on a stroll, go to the park. The Kester Park is right here, too, in our neighborhood. Um, but because of the speeding, um, it can also discourage some people that just feel unsafe um, crossing 10th Street coming from maybe like, you know, other, the other side of 10th Street to come over to our side. Um, so I just kind of wanted to highlight that and just um, speak to how could we reduce the speeding that does occur? The speed limit is set to 30 and 25 by the school, but people often go 40 miles an hour plus. Um, you know, that's just very common to have speeding going on and uh, it's very scary and it, it, you know, just discourages people from being out there and, and feeling safe. Um, so that's all I wanted to say, but thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you to our uh, public um, speakers that participated today uh, and all of our task force members as well uh, for being here. Uh, as we move forward with the task force, we're gonna continue to encourage uh, more participation from our members. I, I think uh, Councilor Foley and I were, were asking the questions today, so um, hopefully we can get a little more engagement uh, at our next meeting. The next Vision Zero update at uh, City Council is gonna be March uh, 2022 at the Transportation and, and Environment Committee. Um, and uh, as always, all attendees will be given a short survey following this meeting. If you can please fill that out. 
uh, once again, please stay safe um, and uh, happy holidays and happy new year to everybody. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Um, just a quick thing since it's related to one of the questions is that the theme of the meeting in March, 2022 is AB43. Um, and so if you wanna hear more about which streets can have their um, their speed limits, posted speed limits, possibly reduced under the new state bill, uh, please come to that meeting.